about Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Rick Kustich, and he'll be answering your questions on modern space fishing. This show will be 90 minutes in length. We're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Rick a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, uh, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing and hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now while you're listening to the show. Content of this broadcast is copyright and the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Rick Kustich about modern spay fishing. East Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive, clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel spring creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. The East Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com. Call them at 800-962-9755. Again, that's leesferryanglers.com. Or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Rick, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Rick's section that says register for a free drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winner at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Rick's latest book, Modern Spay Fishing, courtesy of Stackpole Books. Find out more about Stackpole, you can go to stackpolebooks.com and see all the books that they've published there. Now, here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Rick and I talk about during the show, and then you just submit your answer along with your name and location using that text box on our homepage. So listen closely, take some notes, pay attention, type fast, and you may be the the lucky winner of Rick's latest book, Modern Spay Fishing. Our guest tonight is Rick Kustich. Rick is a fly fishing author and photographer, and in January 2013, he released Advanced Fly Fishing for Great Lakes Steelhead, which is, is his fifth fly fishing title, and his latest book is Modern Spay Fishing. Rick's work has appeared in numerous uh, national and regional publications. He's also a fly tire seminar speaker and travel host and has produced a fly tying DVD. 
Rick has also spent time as a fly shop owner, outfitter, and fly fishing book publisher. Rick began fly fishing almost 40 years ago on the lakes and streams of upstate New York. He has since traveled extensively to experience the finest fly fishing throughout North America and beyond, but continues to find that some of the best fishing often exists in your own backyard. Rick spends a significant amount of time each year on the water and has developed a special passion for steelhead fishing in the Great Lakes in British Columbia. Rick, welcome back to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thanks, Roger. Good to be back. It's been a few years. It's been a while, yeah, yeah. Well, this show's getting old like I'm getting old. <laughs> so it is <laughs> like it all is years. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's become quite the archive of many great fly fishers, including you. 375 shows now, so that's quite the library we have. Well, listen, I'm going to try I, I, something. I refer to it every now and then myself. You what? I said I refer to it every now and then myself. Let's, uh, I'm going to just see if we can pull some people here, Um, people that are listening in live. And everybody on that home page, all you have to do is in the message area, put in a, a one if you're a novice just learning about spay. You know, put in a two if you're kind of medium, and put in a three if you're if you consider yourself well accomplished. I just like to kind of measure the audience here to see who we've got. And uh, so let's see what happens here, Rick. And my guess, Rogers, there will probably be more at the beginning, beginning to moderate, than there is advanced in terms of yeah. this subject matter. Anyway, I think it's really becoming popular and uh, you know a lot of anglers are you know interested in learning and kind of finding out how they can use it in their fishing yeah let me see here i got uh if i can get some responses here okay we got a one and a two so far we got a three one two three (laughs) (laughs) come on folks help me out here all you have to do is put a one two or three in there and here's another one. This isn't like a, an official polling kind of software I've got here. So but anyway, it looks like 1.5. <laughs> one. Yeah. Okay. So you're right, Rick. Yeah. It's weighing on the on the beginner side, just getting started. So that's good to know. That'll help us with our questions tonight. So, yeah, where and when did you start spay fishing? How did you get started? Well, I started almost in the mid-90s, so I guess that's uh, some 30-some years ago, mid to early 90s. I'm right here in the Great Lakes. I, you know, early on saw that there, I really took to uh, swinging flies for our local fish, you know, the migratory steelhead and brown trout. And, um, you know, I early on just had a few different inspirations that, or people that inspired me to utilize more, um, you know, the two-handed technique as opposed to just overhead casting and swinging flies. But the equipment back in those days, mid-90s, really didn't match very well to our streams, our rivers. You know, I probably wasn't until about the um, 
early 2000s before the equipment kind of caught up and I actually was part of some of that development in terms of, of some rods and lines but then it really started matching up well with our rivers. It was also at that time, you know, early, late 90s, early 2000s, I was making semi-regular trips out to British Columbia and two-hand fishing and spay casting, spay fishing really started to, to become popular out there as well. So I learned a lot out there from some of the anglers that were uh, spay fishing out in British Columbia. So yeah, Phil McCartney had asked this question and he also asked, you know, about learning the various spay casts. Is that were you just learning it from friends and guides and so forth at that time? Or yeah, I mean, you know, it's, back in those days, there wasn't the plethora of YouTube. information. <laughs> yeah, and YouTube and the Internet and, and everything else back then. So it was really difficult to find sources. I remember using a book by a British writer, Hugh Falkus, was really one of my main references back in the middle 90s. And then there was a, I remember a, you know, for <laughs> for younger viewers, you don't know, or listeners, you won't know what I'm saying, but a uh, a DVD that was <laughs> uh, produced by Jim Vincent in Rio, and I remember that really, you know, that was something a little bit more where you could kind of really get your head around it since it was video, and you could see more of the movements, and things started making them a lot more sense then. And that, I don't remember when that was released, but I'm going to have to think that was the late 90s, early 2000s. Hmm. Okay, okay. What about spay fishing itself? I believe it started in the U.K., didn't it, originally? It did. It, Can you it, give us a little yeah, history lesson? Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Spay fishing, spay casting started in the middle 1800s on a river that it's named after the River Spay in Scotland. It was developed out of necessity in that it is a tree-lined river, and where the fish are located sometimes longer casts out in the middle to fish effectively and to uh, be able to present the fish a fly to the fish long casts were needed but there wasn't room for a back cast so that's really how this style of fishing developed it uh, was a way to solve a problem for getting long casts out into the river and not having the traditional back cast that would have ended up in the trees Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and, so, uh, and, yeah, and then it kind of evolved over the years from there. And back in those days, they used long rods, like 22 feet, and they were made out of uh, a wood called Greenheart, which was very heavy. That really, to wield one of those rods back in those days, it was you know quite a feat. And you didn't shoot line like you know we kind of, which has become very common today. You were casting whatever was beyond the tip of the rod. So you needed that length to be able to cast a long line. And that Greenheart stayed popular in spay fishing, spay rods, through the early 1900s and even into towards the middle part of the 1900s. Bamboo, you know, played in there a bit. Fiberglass played in a bit. But I think, you know, spay fishing, spay casting really kind of took off with carbon fiber and, you know, graphite rods. It's really what has propelled it to more of the popularity that it is today. So um, we got a message here online. Are you on a speakerphone? I'm not. No. Rick, you know, you're just on a regular phone? Yeah, regular so, phone. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, uh, Bob, we're doing the best we can here with what we got. So just so you know, <laughs> I made a comment about our sound quality. So 
Um, is my is, uh, uh, is my does it sound okay with you? Uh, yeah, it sounds okay with me. He says you just sound really deep. So uh, and probably compared okay. to me because my my voice is a little uh, sharper. So, but people have been complaining about my voice for 17 years now. <laughs> so I said it's just my voice. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's see. Um, so yeah, moving on from there. When did you say it actually came to the U.S., do you think? Um, boy, it came to North America um, probably in the 40s and 50s, I believe. There really isn't a lot of uh, anecdotal accounts of it in the uh, uh -huh. in the Maritimes in that time period, but more in the 40s and 50s. There is some reference in uh, Roderick Haig Brown's work of spay fishing and spay casting, and that would have been more written, I think, in the 50s. So um, that's really when it, I think, showed up in North America, somewhere in that time frame. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And seems like um, seems like it's picked up a lot with just in the, what would you say, last 10 years? Yeah, I'd say last 10 to 15 years, and a lot yeah. of that has to do with yeah, with equipment and lines have really advanced dramatically, and they match well with just such a wide range of fishing opportunities that I think, you know, for all those reasons, it's certainly become a lot more popular. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the latest, and we'll probably talk about this more, um, you know, the terminology of trout spay. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've always thought of, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, I think, of using spay for steelhead. Those two were, like, synonymous, you know, I mean, with each other. So, and I think also Atlantic salmon, right? Was that a fish? Sure, that was, yeah. It, you know. Yeah, and that's really where it started. It was for salmon fishing in Scotland, and it's really been more closely aligned with salmon and other migratory species over the years. And that's where I think, you know, it, it really has begun to change is that, there's just a wider application for it well beyond. I mean, it's still, you know, the advancements in spay equipment have allowed for an expansion, I guess, in, you know, the way that you can approach the migratory fish. But it's, I think, more notable the expansion to other species and other types of water, not just big water, like it was kind of associated with in the past. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's what we've always thought. We have big rivers, you know. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah and I know uh, just to plug one of my clients as well. Uh, Olympic Peninsula Skagit Tactics OPST is mm -hmm. making a lot of micro and you know uh, lines and uh, rods for trout spay and really trying to push into that market. So check them out too. Their website is pureskagit.com. So folks want to. In the trout spay, that's the place to look. So we've got kind of some general questions to get started here, Rick. Ken in Long Island, other than distance, he asked, please list the advantages of spay casting versus one-handed casts. Well, I think the really two main advantages of spay casting, and one is just efficiency in terms of most of the time when you're using spay casting techniques, you're making a change of direction cast. A lot of times it's 90 degrees. So if you were to make that change of direction with a single hand, it's a fair amount of work of 
you know, making a couple of false casts to be able to totally turn your body around to make that change. With spay casting, you make that 90-degree direction change very easily, very quickly, just a couple of efficient movements of the rod, and you, you've completed that cast. So your fly is in the water more often, less wear and tear on your body. So really that's one, you know, that fact that you can make this efficient change of direction cast. Probably the other main advantage, or not probably, but definitely the other main advantage uh, is the fact that there's no traditional back cast. So you're using the water to load the rod. There's a little bit of line that drapes behind your casting position. But for the most part, very little line, and you can control that, very little line goes behind where you're casting. So with eliminating that traditional back cast allows you to fish and cast in much tighter areas than you may normally have with uh, traditional spay cast or traditional fly casting. Would you say is there a phrases, but you know, is there, there a stream or a river that, you know, you need to have at least some room to do this? In other words, you know, um, how big a piece of water do you need to have even for like trout spay and stuff? Or would that be, a, you know, just any river or stream that you normally would work? Yeah, yeah, I think, first of all, I mean, normally, just with your standard cast, you need a little bit of room behind you. Maybe standard spay cast, you know, 5, 10. Depends on how long of a head or, or line you are using. You know, we talk in terms of heads, the amount of line that's generally going to be beyond the tip of the rod. And depending on how long that head is, you know, the, kind of determines how much room you need behind you. But I can make adjustments or, you know, anybody can make an adjustment to their cast during the setup that really can almost not have, not need any room essentially behind you. So I could literally be backed up to trees and still be able to make a cast in most situations. So I think that's, again, one of the real advantages that, you know, you can make a lot of adjustments to your cast so that, you know, you can produce a cast in even the tightest of situations. In terms of size, you know, really I spay cast and trout spay on some pretty small pieces of water. There it really comes down to just adjusting the size of your equipment, you know, to so that it matches with the water you're fishing. But really I can spay fish or spay cast on small trout spay pieces of water that are 25, 30 feet wide, just adjusting down to maybe a single hand rod and a really short head, you know, that will accommodate those short casts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Chuck in Placerville, California, wrote in and asked, uh, he says, 40 years ago we used shooting sinking tip head fly line rigs for salmon, steelhead, and shad on the West Coast. How is modern spay fishing different today? Aren't you covering water with long cast swinging flies? Please educate me. So I guess when I say modern spay fishing, I kind of cover this in the book. I mean, I think of it in terms of being the current state of where we are in spay fishing and spay casting. So it still incorporates, you know, using longer rods and longer heads. You know, if he was using a shooting sink tip system such as, you know, the old Rio wind cutters and, and things of those, you know, lines of that nature, you know, those still kind of fit in to what I would refer to as modern spay. I guess where I see that it has advanced from 40 years ago is 
the equipment's wider, rods in general have become shorter, lines and heads are shorter to kind of match up with those rods. There's lines that are designed to cast, you know, shoot long distances and fish on the surface. There's lines now that are designed to, you know, cast good distance but also carry a lot of weight, both in terms of tips and flies, so that it's created a lot more versatility. And again, just being able to, these shorter shorter rods allow you to fish in tighter areas. So it's just kind of, I think really overall, what's different now and what I would refer to as modern spay is really just the ability to be more versatile, both in terms of presentation and the type of water we're fishing. Okay. Okay. Um, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll we'll start talking more specifically about rods, reels, lines, and so forth, and uh, and where you get started with this. So, hang tight. We'll be right back. Musky Town is so much more than a musky fly shop. Whether you're a musky fly fishing guide, an experienced musky hunter, or just getting into predators on the fly, wherever life's adventures take you, Musky Town's proven lineup helps you to be more successful on the water. They have rods, reels, lines, and flies for musky, pike, and bass. Most of their flies are tied in-house, and they fish them at every possible opportunity so they know what works, why it works, and exactly what you need to put big fish in the net. Sit back, relax, enjoy legendary fly shop service, and please let them know if there's ever anything they can help you with. Next time you think of musky, go to Musky Town. That's muskytown.com or call them at 763-312-6012. Again, muskytown.com, 763-312-6012. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Rick Kustich about modern spay fishing. If you'd like to ask Rick a question, let's go to our home page at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Rick, I was asked my guest what's going on in your fly fishing world. So I know finishing up uh, modern spay fishing was top of the list until lately, right? But uh, what else is going on? Or tell us, tell yeah, us a little yeah, bit about your book, too. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, the book just released in April 1st. You know, really what my objective in the book is to, to provide, I guess, good background and detail on spay fishing and spay casting, trying to lower the the barrier to get into the style of fishing um, and really kind of demystify it. Um, it's really kind of been the objective of the book and seems like the reviews are good and seems like I've hit the objective at this point and I'm really happy with it. I mean, it was a, a long writing project and it's something that I've been doing for, you know, as I mentioned earlier, 30 years. So, you know, a lot of learning and, and really catalogs, uh, you know, kind of my journey in, in space casting and fishing over the years and then really just involved in guiding and instructing we're just kind of winding down our steelhead season here probably got another week left and that'll be winding down for another year just a couple other things too i'm uh, the um, great lakes editor of swing the fly which is a uh, real good resource uh, it's a online magazine with a annual print book that comes out really good resource for uh spay fishing and spay casting. It's just swingthefly.com. And, you know, if anybody wants to, you know, reach out to me or follow me, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, just under Rick Custage. Uh, it's one of the 
advantages of having a name that's unique, I think, in the United States is uh, my Instagram and Facebook are just both my name just written out. And my website is uh, rickcustage.com. And I have a lot more details on what I'm doing and all my books. And you can get a hold of me either through direct message or uh, you know through my website. And your website again was? rickcustage.com. There you go, folks. So, um, yeah, and just to uh, help Rick out here, I'm going to just read down the table of contents of his modern spay fishing. He's got the history, rods and reels, spay casting, presenting the fly. These are all the major sections, tactical, spay fishing, specific strategies for different species of fish, trout spay, and then flies. So it's really comprehensive. A lot of great photographs as well. Beautiful book, Rick, so congrats on that. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, so great. Thanks for sharing all that with us, and uh, let's dive into this a bit. I see uh, we've got a lot of questions coming in on the Internet. I'm going to try to mix those in where it's appropriate, so hang on tight, especially Bob Pauly, <laughs> who's who's a very prolific question and asker, so we'll try to get to as many of these as we can as we go. So we had Phil Burden in Apex, North Carolina, asking, you know, for someone starting out with spay, but an experienced fly fisher, what would you recommend in terms of equipment? Well, I think anytime you're trying to pick the equipment, there is a certain element of trying to match it to either the size of the river and to the quarry. But I think if you're just a middle-of-the-road rod for, you know, light migratory fishing, um, you know, some of the lake runs that we have here in the Great Lakes, larger trout, things of that nature, you know, six or seven weight probably for uh, a 12-footer would be a good all-around rod, I think, to start out with. You know, that you can balance a rod with it like that with a either a Scandi or a Skagit head and, you know, I think cover a lot of different situations. It, you know, that rod also would work for smallmouth bass, you know, six, seven weight for 12, 12 foot. It'd be just a little heavy for trout fishing, but a good, okay. just, and, and it would be a little light for, you know, big salmon and steelhead, but it would be a good in-between in middle-of-the-road arrangement. And that would be a two-hand rod? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Phil McCartney asks, uh, I understand that spay cast can be used with a single-hand rod as well as a double-hand rod. Please tell us how you decide which rod type is best choice for a particular fishing situation. You know, and, that, and that is very true. We associate spay casting, spay fishing, for the most part, with two-hand rods. And two-handers certainly are best matched on big waters and, you know, bombing out long casts. But single, you know, the, every cast that you spay cast that you make with a two-handed rod, you can also make with a single-hander. And, you know, I think once you learn spay casting, you'll find yourself, even when you're out trout fishing or whatever, using some spay movements, you know, to make your casts and, you know, whether it's in tight areas or whatnot. But I use single-hand rods, spay casting single-hand rods on smaller waters, so that's kind of how I choose. Some of my smaller trout streams, I use one-hand spay. There are rods that are designed for one-hand spay, and I'll use a rod like that when I'm trout fishing smaller waters. But pretty much any single-hand rod could be converted into a spay rod, pretty much anything longer than 9 feet. If you combine that with a fairly short head, 
you know, one of these micro spay heads, you can turn that into a, you know, a single hand spay rod. You know, and again, I just kind of match that on the shorter, the shorter end, the smaller, the smaller waters is usually when I'm going one hand spay and then bigger waters, bigger flies, longer casts. That's when I'll use two hands, two handed rods. Okay, uh, Bob Pauley is asking here, writing in on the internet. He's talking, asking about action of the rods, whether it's, you know, you're looking for a fast action rod or slow or what. So my preferred action, you know, whether I'm spay casting a single hand rod or a two hand rod, I want something with a fairly fast tip, but, you know, fairly fast, strong tip, but also something that really loads and bends down, you know, into the middle part or even down into the cork of the rod. I want that flex to be deep. You know, that kind of allows me to really... Uh, propel the line, get good line speed, but also with the stronger tip. You don't want that tip to collapse on you when you're, you know, you're going forward and making your forward cast. So that's kind of the things I look for, you know, stronger tip, but good balance throughout the rod so it loads deep. Mm -hmm. Silas Gray in Missouri writes in and says, I have a 5-foot 10-weight switch rod. Is that okay for practice or will it just cause frustration? <laughs> No, I think I think that's fine. You certainly just want to make sure that you match that rod with the appropriate line of um, the appropriate length of a line, the appropriate length head. You don't want anything too short or too, you know, in this case, too long, and that could lead to some frustration. You know, in the book, I give some guidance as to, you know, what the length of a head would be given the length of the rod, so some, you know, at least some guidance as to how to choose that. Um, if this is, you know, a switch rod that uh, is manufactured by, you know, one of the major manufacturers, the, their website probably will give some guidance as to what heads you could use with this rod. The only thing I would say is with a short rod like that and then a short head, there's a tendency to kind of shortcut the learning the learning curve to some degree. And you, know, you may not really be able to learn all the, you know, the proper movements at the proper time like you can with a, a little longer rod and a little longer head. I mean, that's the only thing. You know, you could, you know, from a fishing standpoint, you know, it can get you up and running faster, but if you're really trying to learn spay casting, you know, something with a longer rod and a little longer head okay. might be more of a better teaching tool. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, there's uh, some other rod-related questions coming in here. Yeah, Bob Pauley wrote in, he says, what's your recommended rod and line setup to fish 15 feet of T14 sink tip? And I'd like you to, you know, as you answer this, maybe talk more about these heads and tips and the lines you know, what's available, you know, why we use them, that kind of thing. Okay, I'd, I'd probably break it down into three or four different styles of heads that I guess would be most popular. So we, we would have longer headlines. And what I refer to, let's even step back for a second, because I think this is where really the confusion starts with spay fishing, spay casting. 
And I think, you know, going back to an earlier question, really one of the main differences with modern spay is this idea of having the head of the line past the tip of the rod, having running line stripped off the reel, and then shooting that running line to get your distance, you know, which differs from traditional spay casting where you cast just the amount of line that was beyond your tip. So there's probably the that might be the thing that really differentiates, I guess, you know, quote unquote modern spay fishing from, you know, maybe or modern spay casting from traditional spay casting. So let's kind of start there in that within that you think in terms of having the head, the thicker part of the line beyond the tip of the rod, and then that's attached to running line. Those lines or heads could either be integrated right into the running line, or what's really more common these days is having a head that has a loop on the back end, and then that goes loop to loop to a running line. And your running line might be a coated running line, it could be monofilament running line, or it could be um, a braided running line. So I think that's really the you know one of the things. And the idea of having, you know, I think as anglers are breaking in, there's a certain amount of un you know, being uncomfortable having a loop in the middle of their line, but something you get used to quite easily and that loop's almost always outside the tip of the rod. But what it does too is it really facilitates an easy change of heads. You can go from one head to another without carrying multiple reels with you. You just carry a, a packet of different heads. So that, I think that's a starting point, is the, the idea of the head beyond the tip. So I, you know, I'd kind of break it down real roughly into you know, maybe four categories, where you have like medium to long, let's just even say long headlines that are maybe 60 feet or more in terms of the length of the head, and then that's attached wow. to running line. Those are capable of shooting long distances. I mean, you can cast some of those lines you know, 120, 130 feet, real good casters can cast them even longer. And they're generally going to match best with longer rods, 14 to 16 foot rods. Then let's just say you have more in the shorter to medium length heads, and maybe those are more in the you know, 45 to let's say 60, 62 feet. And again, now that those are capable of casting longer distances, maybe not as long as a long headline, but they can be cast longer distances, and they're generally going to match with rods that are 12 and a half, 13 feet to 14, 14 and a half feet, something in that range. And then what has become really popular are these shorter heads, and one is referred to as a, a Scandi head, and it was developed in Scandinavia, and they're generally going to be 32 to 38 feet in length. They have a long front taper, develop great line speed. They really excel at fishing the fly higher in the water column. So either with a floating leader or a, you know just a monofilament or, or a fluorocarbon leader, or you could use you know sinking leaders, poly leaders on the, uh, the Scandi lines as well. They're not going to turn over you know heavy tips. So generally, again, more fishing towards the surface or you know down in the water column a bit, but they're not going to be what you're going to use a Scandi is and what you're going to use for your depth work. And then the other line style and head style that's really become popular is a Skagit head. And what the Skagit head is more of a, you know, has a lot of mass to it. They're generally going to be anywhere from as short as 20 feet up to maybe 26 feet. And they're really designed to be a, just a versatile delivery tool. And you can cast heavy tips, heavy flies, 
Uh, you can fish higher in the water column with with a skagit as well, but they're also capable of creating great versatility and casting heavier tips and, and heavier flies. So, um, you know, for me, I prefer casting like a Scandi or one of the other longer heads from a casting standpoint, but the Skagit's are so effective in terms of from a fishing standpoint that, you know, myself and my clients, we use a lot of Skagit heads. You know, when they first became popular in the early 2000s, they were kind of clunky and, you know, just didn't have a lot of feel to them. And, you know, some of the newer Skagit heads, now the way they're being designed, they feel much better and cast much better than they have in the past. So to kind of get to this question, you know, using a Skagit head is what you would want to use if you're going to deliver something, you know, like 14, 15 feet of T14. You know, that's a, you know, a very heavy head that's capable of getting a fly down to great depths. So usually probably, and you would need a Skagit head of maybe, you know, 500, 540 grains fished on an 8 or a 9 weight rod to be able to deliver consistently that heavier tip like that. So basically so. with, let me see if I have this correct. Um, <laughs> we've, we've got running line, right? And then yep. to that, we're attaching a head, which is enables us to basically to shoot or cast the line further, right? And right. to, to mm-hmm. give some weight on the front end. And then you're going to have a tip on that, like Bob was talking about a sink tip. Yep. Um, a sink tip, or you could have a monofilament leader if you're fishing up in the water column. Okay, so at that point you make a choice as to where you're, if you want to go down or, or stay high. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the setup, which is which is something that uh, normal trout fishermen or even the salt aren't used to, that kind of setup really of management of the line going out. That's something you have to learn. It looks like there's a whole art involved in science yeah, there, there, of, of there configuration. Is, there is. And, yeah. yeah, and there is. And, uh, you know, all of this is loop-to-loop, so it's, you know, all easily changed and adjusted. You know, again, an, an advantage of kind of this whole rigging process. You can make on-the-fly adjustments. So that, uh, and usually, and what I was, the other thing, too, is the those longer heads, some of those are manufactured so that you can take the fifth, you know, where there's a, a loop-to-loop on, on that head, and you can exchange the last 15 feet, let's say, of that line for another style of tip. So you could have a floating tip. You could have a 3-inch per second sink tip, a 6-inch per second sink tip. Kind of just confuses that even a little bit more. But that would be even in the longer head and mid-head lines where those could be converted into sync tips of different sync rates. So when we're talking, if you're a new person uh, and you're talking to the manufacturers and the rods or lines and so forth, or in a shop, it would be the things that you need to convey to, to whoever's helping you is number one, what kind of water do you plan on fishing regularly? And yep. two, what kind of fish are you fishing for? And then it, it seems like with those two variables, they could dial you in better, right? Absolutely. You know, couldn't have said it better myself. Those are the two things that you need to consider, you know, when you're looking, you know, to to get into this. And, you know, I really tried in the one chapter in the book, too, that covers, you know, rods, reels, and, and lines. You know, I really tried to do my best 
you know, I think I've succeeded as trying to really demystify that because it does get really complicated and complex. And I know even just from the questions I get when I'm instructing classes and uh, lessons that it's, you know, it's confusing. I've been dealing with it for a long time, so it's just all second nature to me, but I know it's, um, you know, it's complex. And trying to simplify it, try not to get, if you are going to delve in, try to, as you said, you know, keep it simple. Try to identify your the type of water you're fishing, how you're going, and then just kind of how you're going to fish, and that will end up determining, you know, the style of line. And you know, and I think most beginners, if you if you buy a rod and then get a Scandi head and a Skagit head, that's going to match with that rod. I think that's really a good starting point for somebody to get into this. Hmm, okay. And I don't I don't know that background of this question, but Bob wrote in here, do people who learn with Scandi lines really know how to spay cast Skagit and traditional lines? Yes. I mean, let's, you know, there is some schools of thought out there that would indicate that you should have different casting styles for these different types of lines. I've never really believed in that. I think anybody that's well-versed in spay casting, I don't know if they would believe in that either, though I, I know some teachers kind of have taught that in the past. I think a Scandi line is a really good one to learn on. I think it's got at least enough length that it teaches you the basics that you need to be able to cast any line. As you do get longer into longer lines, your movements are, are greater, and they need to be a little bit more precise. So, I mean, they get more difficult to make efficient casts with. But I think it's easy to go the other easier to go the other direction. If you learn on a Scandi, it's um, you know quite easy to to cast a Skagit. The only thing I would say is there is some some adjustment to the setup without getting into you know kind of too much detail and, you know, beyond the objective tonight, but when you're casting a Scandi head in, a, you know, a lighter sinking leader or even a monofilament leader, there is going to, it's going to be slightly different in your setup than if you're fishing a Skagit line with a heavy sink tip and a heavy fly. Just a, a little bit different in terms of, you know, how you're going to manage that. The weight of the tip and the fly does create, you know, some challenges. But, you know, in terms of that, yeah, definitely, I think you know, a lot of times when we have our beginning classes, we teach our, our students with uh, Scandi heads. Okay, okay. Another question, Tom Zimna, want to know if you recommend any particular YouTube videos, channels, that kind of thing for learning two-handed casting techniques? Uh, that's a, it is a good question. There are, I think, some pretty good videos. I referenced it before, swimthefly.com. There's some pretty good videos on there. A couple of really good casters are associated with that uh, with that website. So I would recommend that as a good starting point. You know, there are still some, you know, I'd also look at, uh, you know, Simon Gosworth on, on Rio. Mm-hmm. You know, Simon, Simon wrote the foreword for this book. He is certainly was one of my mentors. Um, his book in 2004 really kind of transformed my casting. So he has, there's some videos on the real website. So I would kind of go in those directions. 
Okay. Okay. Good. Need to take another quick break, Rick, and uh, we'll be right back and continue on. So hang tight. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique one-of-a-kind flies and fly tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or would like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Rick Gustich about modern spay fishing. If you'd like to ask Rick a question, just go to our homepage and fill out that form and send it, and we'll see if we can't get it answered. So let's see here. Bill Henry in Brooklyn, New York, wrote uh, old fiberglass fly rod. Rods are being used for skagit casting by extending the butt. I have an old Orvis full flex circa 1960s that is so much fun to use with a shooting head. Have you heard of others fishing this way? Is fiberglass making a comeback a little? Do you ever use cane or fiberglass rods? Um, so, you know, to kind of answer that first, I do, I have heard of others modifying some older fiberglass rods to use with spay casting. I mean, you know, and he kind of hit that on the head. I mean, that, the original school of thought with the Skagit heads was that, uh, you know, a, a slow-action rod kind of propels and works well with those heads, propels those heads out. I do feel as though, so there are others that I know that are using, that have kind of reclaimed some old fiberglass and turned them into two-handed rods. I feel as though, you know, fiberglass certainly is not dead. I, you know, it is, I think, making a bit of a resurgence. So is, uh, so is bamboo, you know, for those that are, I think, reaching back to try to revisit the soul of fly fishing. So I think both of those, uh, in terms of whether I use one, you know, I've done some casting with the bamboo two-hander, and it's something my brother is a, you know, bamboo builder, an expert bamboo builder. We've talked about putting together a, you know, a light two-hander, we'll probably do that at some point. So I would imagine, in the, I have some in, in the future, but I have not cast a lot um, two-handed with bamboo or fiber cast. But certainly um, it's a very viable option. Okay. And James in Idaho asks, uh, is the whole switch rod category desig- slash designation a thing of the past? Is it now light trout spay? One to four weight setups and much longer and heavier traditional spay outfits. You know, I think the idea of of what a switch rod was kind of fit in that I don't know ten and a half to eleven eleven and a half foot rods. You know, rods that were almost light enough to be able to cast one handed, but had an extended butt to be able to cast two hands. I think that name became popular before there was such a plethora of shorter rods on the market. So I don't know if it's totally a thing of the past, but it does seem like now we have, you know, kind of as James alludes to here, you kind of have your heavier rods, your longer rods, you kind of have your medium length rods, and you kind of have your shorter rods. And, you know, I think switch rods have, you know, to some degree have been absorbed into that category of just short two-handed rods. I don't really think that it's necessary because they're still short 
you know, there's a lot of good short two-handed rods that are built for heavier line weights than trout spay. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, 11, 11 and a half footers built for six, seven, eight weight rods, or for eight weights that you can use for, you know, large fish, fish, um, migratory fish and, and larger species. But the whole idea of trout spay, you know, I don't think it's, it's it hasn't substituted for switch rods, but it's really become a whole category of itself. These ultralight one and two hand rods that uh, mm -hmm. you know are designed to match well with trout fishing. So you think like a switch rod is kind of a, a transitional stage in the whole you know. Um, yeah, I mean, how you, I mean, you know, the the term switch rod, there isn't a really an exact definition for what that is. Okay. You know, it's just traditionally been a shorter two-hand rod, and I just think that. Yeah. I guess if anything else, the the name is almost you know that terminology is almost becoming antiquated. I guess. Okay. Okay. In my estimation. Um, okay, uh, Roy Fukushima in Orange County, California. He says, I shore fish Pyramid Lake in Nevada for big Lahontan cutthroat trout from a ladder and wondering what weight and length two-handed fly rod and fly line you'd recommend. It's often windy there, and I throw either a single streamer or a two-fly setup. That I'd like to yeah, see. I, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting, this question, because I, you know, I, on Instagram and Facebook, I certainly see a number of photos from that fishery, and it's very impressive, and the size of the fish are you know, just right. really amazing. But I've often thought about how it would probably match well with spay casting. And in there, I'm not sure how much change of direction you're doing, but even without a large change in direction, just making that forward spay motion and propelling that line out long distances, you know, into the wind, not having to worry about a back cast. You know, I, I, it seems like some of the photos I've seen are, fishing right along some shorelines, too, where you don't really have much back casting room. So I, I often look at those photos and think it would be ideal for spay casting. You know, I think especially if you're up on a ladder already, I think probably something like an 11 foot for a 7 or 11 foot for an 8 weight, 11 and a half maybe, would match really well in terms of lines. You know, if you're fishing up higher in the water column, probably a Scandi, but uh, be more versatile with you know, a Skagit head. If you're stripping the line in all the way back, it might be a situation where you would want a Skagit head with an integrated running line so you don't have to worry about that, about the loop if you're stripping back the fly every time through the tip top. Yeah, yeah, good good, uh, good tip there. Dave Horn in Maine, I'm going to fish for Atlantic salmon in northern Labrador this summer. Most anglers use single-headed rods, however, some anglers you spay rods with scandy lines and small flies there. I own an older G. Loomis dredger, eight-weight rod, and have used it in B.C., Alaska, and Russia with Skagit lines and heads like T11 and bigger flies. I'm 82 now and don't want to buy a new rod, lines, etc. I'm wondering how my rod would cast if I used a floating head with a poly leader and a small Atlantic salmon fly. Yeah, I, I'm sure it would cast fine with a... Uh with a Scandi, you just have to make sure that you line the right grain weight up with it and maybe try a couple different types of Scandi heads. But, you know, that rod was originally designed to kind of be a little bit, I, I believe, to be a little bit slower and, and cast the, uh, you know, cast 
the Scandi had or uh, Skagit had, but it should still manage a Scandi head without any problem. An eight weight, it's probably going to be somewhere around 480, 500 grain Scandi head. That should match with that. See if uh, you can find a chart that might give the various grain recommendations for a Scandi head for that rod, but I think it should handle it just fine. And, and you know, you should be able to use that. Okay, okay. Stan in Chicago writes, uh, regarding two-handed swinging for trout specifically, when fishing a new river, brown and rainbow trout are present, assuming water level conditions are normal, current is not too fast or too slow, what factors determine the amount of weight and length you would use for a tip? Do you normally start light and work your way down or start heavier and work your way up to lighter tips? What would make you change tip weight aside from getting hung up with too heavy of a tip? So when I trout spay, I kind of look at it in two ways. I mean, I'm going in two, I guess, two different directions, kind of a why. I'm either going to kind of focus on more meat patterns, so I'm where I'm fishing streamers, swinging streamers, stripping streamers, or where I'm going to focus more on bugs and, you know, swinging, you know, wet flies, wet soft tackles, things of that nature. So that's kind of my first, uh, and, and a lot of that's going to be based on conditions. You know, early in the season, if the water's up high and, and coming down or if it's uh, going up after a rain or during a rain, you know, those are ideal situations for fishing a streamer. Um, and when I fish streamers, I like to, and, you know, I think I take a more dynamic approach to, to streamer fishing when I'm, well, I, when I trout stay fishing as opposed to just swinging for steelhead or salmon. So um, in that situation, I'm going to usually rig with a Skagit type of, of a line, you know, fairly heavy sink tip to get the fly down, a little weight on the fly. But instead of just swinging, when I'm fishing streamers, I'm making that cast, letting it swing, but also adding some action, either stripping the fly right in or stripping and let it, you know, kind of letting it drop back, but just adding some additional type of action to the fly. When the, the uh, water conditions are such that, water's lower, you know, maybe you're at a, you know, a time of year when there is more prevalent hatches. And I love caddis hatches and swinging flies. You know, then I'll go a different direction and, and rig up with a, a Scandi head, usually a, just a, a monofilament or a, a fluorocarbon leader, or maybe just a, a light sink tip poly leader just to get it down a little bit. Um, and, and then I'm just going to fish a little higher in the water column. So really, you know, it's going to be determined by what's going on, you know, the conditions of the water, trying to use a little bit more of a trout mind in terms of am I matching them, am I trying to mimic a hatch, am I trying to mimic insects, or is it the type of conditions where I'm better off just uh, staying on the bottom and trying to, you know, fish some bait fish patterns. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, good, good. Let me take another quick break, and we'll come back and we'll talk about more about casting and presentation, you know, using space. So um, hang tight, everybody. We'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. FFI efforts include being a strong advocate for removing dams on the Snake River, preserving water quality through their Science on the Fly program, and taking action to conserve the declining populations of Atlantic striped bass. FFI serves as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations 
and continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Rick Kustich about modern spay fishing. If you want to ask a question, fill out that form on the homepage, send it in, and we'll see if we can get to it. We've got tons of questions still here, Rick, so uh, let's see how much we can get through here. Can you kind of describe what the basics of spay casting is? I mean, I think you kind of talked about it at the very beginning a bit, but and what would be the difference between the single and the two-handed? Is there, Are the methods different, or is it just a matter of one or two two hands? Okay, well, it's, yeah, I'll try to quickly just give you some, you know, go into some of the basics. But really the idea of, and we talked about it earlier, you know, change of direction, you know, not allowing the line to go much past your casting position. But, you know, the real, I guess, the mechanics of the cast relies on the line being in contact with the water to create tension, and then the line also draping off the tip of the rod and going down to the line. So those are the two things that kind of load the rod. Those are what is going to create the tension. So in, in standard fly casting, it's the back cast that you know kind of create, loads the rod and creates the tension. Here it's the line in contact with the water and draping down. Some people will say, well, you know, it's pretty similar to a roll cast. There are some similarities to a roll cast, but the spay cast is just more dynamic. It's going to develop more line, you know, rod and line speed and allow to really you know, shoot the line out more so than your standard uh, roll cast. A couple key things, too, is when you are two-hand casting, you really want to engage the bottom hand. So it really should be a two-handed. The one thing when I teach anglers that are good single-hand casters they have a tendency to really want to dominate with the top hand. But you want to be able to dom- you know, try to put at least 50-50 pulling with the bottom hand, pushing with the top hand. Every spay cast ends in that same position where you're in a forward spay position. And a couple of the key terms there are when I refer to the line being in contact with the water, it's going to be your fly, your tip, or your leader, and maybe the first foot or two of the line is in touch with the water, and that's your what we refer to as your anchor point. Your anchor is just very key. It, sh- it should be off your casting shoulder um, at a 45-degree angle, about the length of your rod away from your body. And it's very important from a safety standpoint that it's always there, but that anchor point is going to tell you a lot about your cast. If, you're, if that anchor is placed in the right place, you know it's going to tell you a lot about the setup and uh, whether your cast is going to be successful or not. And every cast ends up in this same position, forward spay, where you have the anchor point established, you have that line draping off down to the water. We refer to that as the D loop. The rod creates the front of a of a large D. The line coming down creates the, the curve of a large D. Your bottom hand is out, top hand is up near your ear, and then you deliver the cast from that position. All the various other spay casts are just manipulations and maneuvering of the line to get into that forward spay position. 
which is going to be where you're going to ultimately end up every time to deliver the fly. And really just that, you know, just this understanding of during the setup, and this is, you know, going to get beyond the, the scope of tonight, but, you know, during that the setup of every cast to be able to make that change of direction, as a caster, you just need to understand the relationship of the power and the plane that the rod is, is uh, moving on when you're doing the setup. Um, in terms of, you know, whether there's a difference between the single hand and two hand casting, the setup of those casts are very similar. The only difference really is that with two hand casting, you are engaging both hands. One hand casting, you just don't get that same power that you get by pulling and pushing like you do with two hands, although you can make up for that a little bit single hand casting because you can actually haul on the line with the bottom hand and gain some line speed that way. Okay, okay, great. So if I can just kind of summarize that, one of the important things is the, the anchor point of, and that's where the line is on the water, correct? Yep, that's, that's where they, you have your fly, leader, or tip, and the first usually couple feet of, of the head is in contact with the water. And to be a successful cast, when you are ready to make that forward cast, that should all be lined up pointing right towards the target where the cast is going to end up. Okay, okay. And then you've got your big loop, which would you refer to that as a D loop? And That's a D loop, or? yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. And then everything's going in the same direction from that point. Now, um, yeah, and you, there are... You, as long as you've done it right. As long as you've done the setup <laughs> right, then, then it's all going but, in the uh, right direction. I see some fancy stuff going on in the air out there uh, with spaycasters too, and I'm assuming that uh, that's part of the the advanced techniques of casting is is manipulating the line and the rod multiple directions. I guess from what I've seen, is that yeah, no, the case? that's right, and that's you know, yeah, and that's really basically part of the, even the standard. I mean, you don't have to be that uh, advanced to be able to make those movements. I mean, that's part of what is needed for the change of direction. I mean, you can, well, what I've kind of just described, I mean, you can make that cast in the same plane, you know, just keeping it in the same direction, but to actually make that 90-degree change in direction, you need to be able to make these various casts. We refer to it as a single spay, double spay, C spay, and the snake roll. All of those, really what that does, all those different casts are really just manipulations of the line to get into that forward spay position where you have your anchor point, your D-loop, and you're pointed towards your target. You need to be able to make all those movements to be able to make the 90-degree change of direction. And, you know, it sounds more complicated than it is once you kind of delve into it a bit. Yeah, yeah, okay. Matt Dickens in uh, Pennsylvania says, I'm fairly unfamiliar with spay fishing, but I Seeing it become popular for inland trout, it seems like it would be similar to swinging wet flies in both uh, general fly presentation and style of flies. What are the differences between spay fishing for trout and the traditional wet fly swing? You know, I think there are a lot of similarities, especially when you're swinging wet flies. But I think what it, the spay does for you is it's more efficient in terms of being able to make that change of direction very quickly probably can, on average, make some longer casts. And with the longer rod that we use with trout spay, 
think you can get a little better line control. And you can do some different things with that length of rod that you may not be able to do with a, you know, a nine foot rod. So I think that's one thing. And the other thing, like I mentioned with the streamer fishing, I think it allows me to, again, be more efficient, make um, good change of direction casts, and be a little bit more dynamic with the presentation in terms of adding action to the fly and things of that nature. So I guess those are the, you know, those are the big things. I mean, you can pretty much, when you're trout fishing, do all these different things with a single hand rod. I just think with the trout spay, it just, it makes it more efficient and just generally more fun. I mean, it's just, just a lot mm -hmm. of fun to spay cast once you really get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, just looking at it, just, it, you know, you always think of um, casting a fly, you know, as science and art, but, you know, it's just the beauty of watching somebody cast a regular single-handed rod, but then when you watch somebody do spay, then it seems like, it, for me, it takes it to another whole level, you know, of this beauty of the line going through the air and, and so forth. So, yeah, visually just really appealing. And so it must feel well, too. <laughs> it does. As, as I mean, there's a real, yeah. yeah, there's a real rhythm to it, too. You know, I think that's what I enjoy about it the most. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had mentioned uh, presentation techniques. Are there things that you do with uh, presentation-wise that might be different than what you do with a normal single-hand rod? I think really about what casting, it, what, but, yeah. With presentation of the fly, you mean, Roger? Yeah, right, yeah. Or, what you do after the cast is done, is there, are there differences? What, what I think it does is it provides just such a wide and just so much versatility in how I can present the fly. Both the, you know, the length of the rod, providing a little more line control, but also just the tips in the fly that I now can easily cast allows me just to cover such a wide range of different types of water traditionally spay fishing, spay casting fishing, you know, was more designed towards making long cast, swinging the fly out. You know, you can control the speed a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I kept really two chapters in the book, one that kind of covers that the basics of controlling speed, controlling depth, and you can fish pretty much any part of that water column just by how you rig and how you cast and how you manipulate the line. Um, but then I also have a whole chapter in there on being more tactical. And I think, again, that's, you know, what I think in terms of where has spay fishing come to be more of a modern approach. And where I look at it is just really being able to cover water that we didn't think about covering in the past from spay fishing. It was more associated with big pools and, and runs and things of that nature. You know, now we cover all different types of water, pockets and short runs and flats and things of that nature. So really, and I have a whole chapter on, you know, the thoughts of really, you know, delving into covering a wider range of water types than we have in the past. So I, I really think that's an advantage to this approach. And speaking of water types, John in New York, he says, I learned stay and cast in current. What technique would be best for casting in a pond that has no current? So what what would be the difference there with yeah, the, the, the biggest thing, uh, you know, when you're casting in a pond, and it would be the same thing when we were talking about, uh, you know, casting in Pyramid Lake, you're not making the, that directional change. So in that situation, you really are just using the forward stay. You know, it's also referred to as a switch cast, where, you know, you're making your cast. You can, you know, cast 
and shoot line, maybe 30, 40 feet out. You can strip that line back, get the head of the line back beyond the, uh, the tip of the rod, and then you just set up, you just sweep the rod like you would to set up your forward spay and just deliver the cast in the same plane. So you're really just, instead of making a change of direction cast, uh, using a single spay or a double spay or something along those lines, you're just basically making the forward spay cast in the mm -hmm. same plane okay. and just making it straight out. Okay. Gordon in Massachusetts wants to know, can you spay cast from a personal pontoon boat? Um, you can. It would be a little more difficult. It depends on what the pontoon boat is. If you're standing, absolutely. If you're sitting, become a little bit more problematic uh, just because you're going to be so close to the water. Um, you know, the tip of the rod and the distance from the tip of the rod to the water would be condensed that way. And you don't have the same ability to kind of rotate your body, which is required for some of the casting. It certainly can be done, but if you're sitting down, it'll be a little bit more problematic. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, yeah. Steve Schramm in California wrote, are there practical applications for spay casting when musky fishing? I normally stick to shooting heads on a single-handed rod when musky fishing, but often daydream of roll casting with a two-handed switch rod when the fatigue of casting a shooting head set up all day long sets in. Well, absolutely, and I do a lot of musky fishing, and actually even when you read my bio, I, you were behind one book because I have okay. a book on uh, uh, I did a book on fly fishing for muskie, but I use a two-hander all the time for muskie fishing. I don't spay cast, though. I overhead cast shooting heads with my two-hander, and it's very effective, very efficient. Uh, I can make longer casts than I ever could with a single-hand rod, much less wear and tear on my body, on my shoulders, and on my wrist. To me, it's really the way to go in terms of fly fishing for muskie, and I think it'll become more and more popular as time goes on. I can say that I do have a YouTube. I just have a small YouTube channel that I just started, but I do have a video out there on two-hand overhead casting for muskie uh, and casting muskie flies, so something that Steve might want to check out. And, yeah, and what, on that, you, the, yeah, just to say, what's the name of your fly. channel? Yeah, Rick Custage Fly Fishing. Okay. Okay. There you go. For the, check it out. for the person, yeah, for the person that asked about, you know, casting videos, I, you know, will eventually have some casting and presentation videos up there. I hope to be filming a few over the next few weeks. So hopefully, make that a little bit more active of the YouTube channel. That we have a question in on the internet, John from Lakeview. He says, "Do you think spay casting is also taken off because of the demographics of the angler?" Personally, I know several anglers who are getting older, me included, and one-handed casting becomes harder on the joints. Is it less damage to the body, do you think? I think so. I think less wear and tear, like on the shoulder and, and arm. Now, you know, as long as you're doing it right, you're really engaging a large portion of your body right through your, you know, your back and your torso and your legs and everything. You know, there's full rotation of your body. So I do think there's less wear and tear. But again, it depends what, you know, if you're really trying to bomb out long casts all day long, I mean, there's still some, you know, fatigue you're going to generate through that. But I do think that that's part of it, part of the popularity of two-handed. But I also think it's, uh, you know, that people want you, you kind of, 
get to a certain point where there's a, a level of proficiency with the cast. It's just, you know, again, fun casting and uh, an exciting way. I, and I don't think it's just the casting. I mean, swinging the fly, getting that grab of a fish on a tight line. I think a lot of anglers are finding that to be so much more exciting than, you know, dead drifting uh, flies, you know, for fish. Mm-hmm. Anyways, at least at least in my own estimation, that's my feeling. But I do think, you know, there's a lot of factors that are going into, you know, the popularity of it. Or it's growing. Yeah. I mean, it's still not that popular, but it's growing. We have two questions came in, one from James in New York, one from Phil in Kentucky, basically asking about using spay in uh, saltwater from a beach. Um, is that being used? much what's your experience it, with it, it is and again you know kind of thinking out of the box it is definitely a uh, and i touch upon it in the book a little bit but in terms of there's a few advantages i mean if you're going to use like something that loads up the rod quickly like a skagit head you can make really quick casts instead of you know especially if you're fishing along the beach fishing for stripers and there's um, you need to make a quick shot you know, if you're single hand casting, you might need to make a couple of false casts. You know, with a two hand rod and a, a short shooting head, you can just load that rod up. You know, with a forward spay and fire it right out. So it's a you know, much quicker. You know, if you are in situations too where maybe there's vegetation or cliffs behind where you're you're casting, or if you're on a popular beach where there might be people walking behind you, again, that the whole idea of using the, the spay cast with no line going behind you, you know, is a, is an effective, uh, you know, uh, an effective approach as well. And then really they, as I've mentioned with the musky fishing though too, it's very easy to overhead cast with the two-hander as well. And, you know, that can add some distance, especially if you're uh, trying to bomb out long casts in a little wind, you know, using that two-hand technique can really generate a lot of line speed. Phil also wrote in about asking about stripping backs basket, which just came to my mind about is line management, can that be a problem with current, with waves? And what do you do about that? Well, if you're, you know, let's, I'll kind of address that from two angles, but if you're fishing along the beaches, you would definitely want a stripping basket. You would definitely want that running line ready to go you know, not on the beach and not getting caught up in waves and things of that nature. So absolutely for that, you know, if you can think in terms of really needing to make a quick shot, a quick cast, you know, if you have that line in the stripping basket, it's going to enable you to do that. When I'm fishing on rivers, I have actually known a few people that have used stripping baskets. But for the most part, I want to make just long strips, trying to get the line in as, you know, as quickly as possible so I can get back to the head and make the next cast. But you really do bring up a good question, Roger. I mean, there there is some line management that's required because if you got 40 or 50 feet of running line just sitting in the current, when you go to make that next cast, the current's going to catch that line and basically stop your, your head from reaching the maximum distance. So what we do is when we're stripping in, we'll make loops in the line. So maybe you strip in four and then you make a loop and you strip in the next three and you make a loop and you hold that loop with your bottom hand. Well, at least how I do it, with the bottom hand. So that I'm pitching off the running line with my top hand on the top cork and have these loops managed with my bottom hand. 
so that when I make the cast and I come to my full stop on the forward cast, I let both of those fingers go and it allows that line to shoot. So with those loops, you don't have any line just sitting right on, on the water. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Well, we're out of time here, but let's just finish up with, Rick, if you were hadn't even tried to spay cast or anything yet, but you're really interested and want to give it a shot, what's the best way to go about that if you're just a beginner? What would you tell a beginner to do? You know, I, besides I buying that, your book. Yeah, <laughs> besides, besides buying, buying your book. book. <laughs> and, you know, my book does have, you know, good casting instruction in there, but, you know, it's hard to learn just in one way. I do think that, you know, personal lessons or a school or a spay clave or something along hands-on, I think does really kind of shortcut things, you know, for somebody. I think that's a really good way to, to do it. But but then looking, you know, there's still a good number of videos, you know, on the market. Um, I'm sure if you dig deeper, I, I've given you a couple of references for, uh, for videos. I think if you dig deeper, you can find others. You know, I just caution people just to make sure that, the person that's that's teaching John, what's his name? John John Hazlitt. If you look up some of his videos, he he's a really good teacher. But you know, I think just caution somebody to just make sure that the person that that is you know providing the videos has the proper background and and whatnot. But I I do think the hands-on just along those lines for anybody that is in the East Coast. We have an event on the Salmon River in, in New York this August. It's August 11th through 13th. It's called Spay Nation. And in Spay Nation, there is a day of just open presentations to the public where you're going to learn from uh, from experts in casting and fishing. And then we have a whole series of classes going from Friday to Sunday. So those type of events, I think, are you know really good forums for learning this style of fishing. Great, great. Well, thanks. Well, hang with us here a bit longer, Rick. We are going to give away your book as well as a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. So um, we'll be doing that in just a few seconds here. Uh, and again, Rick's book is Modern Spay Fishing, courtesy of Stackpole Books. And we do have a link on the front of our website to that book as well as uh, several of other of Rick's books, so um, if you're interested, you can follow through and, uh, and get those links there. And if anybody wants a signed, personalized copy, they can just uh, direct message me through Instagram or, or Facebook. There you go. There you go. Okay. Um, hold on, and we'll be right back. Do you travel to fish? Medical and security emergencies happen. When they do, you can rely on Global Rescue, the world's leading membership organization, providing integrated medical, security, travel risk, and crisis response services to travelers worldwide. Without a Global Rescue membership, an emergency evacuation could cost you more than $100,000. That's why over 1 million members trust Global Rescue to get them home when the worst happens. Don't travel without Global Rescue. Memberships start at just $129. Learn more about Global Rescue's program. Just click on the Global Rescue icon in the footer of our website at Ask About Fly Fishing or in the right-hand column on our homepage. And that will take you right over to their site, and they can help you out. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute to give us your feedback about the show. If You, you can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says 
What did you think of this show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away our prizes, and the winners for the drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late, but make sure you do so for our next show so you don't miss out on a chance to win some of these great prizes. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away is a membership to Fly Fishers International, a one-year membership. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org flyfishersinternational.org. Check them out. It's a great organization to be part of, and um, it supports us all in so many different ways. Our winner for that is going to be David Pate in Texas. David Pate in Texas. So congratulations, David. And you've got your one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And now I'll give away a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. And to find more about Trout Unlimited, tu.org. Go to tu.org. Another great organization to support. And our winner for that is Steve Schramm, Steve Schramm in California. So congratulations to both you gentlemen on winning tonight. I know you'll enjoy your memberships. And now we're going to give away a copy of Rick's latest book, Modern Spay Fishing, courtesy of Stackpole Books. And so let me clear my queue. So what you need to do is, uh, great, uh, just got a good comment from James in New York. Show was great, very informative. We'll definitely be looking at getting Rick's book on space. So, hey, we already got a glowing review here, Rick. <laughs> That's oh, nice. good. Nice to hear. Thanks, James. Appreciate that. And, um, okay, so I'm going to ask a question. You have to put your answer along with your name and location and that form on our homepage. And the first person that uh, answers the question correctly will win Rick's book, Modern Spay Fishing. So the question is, when you're setting up to do your spay cast and getting in position, there's one thing you've got to make sure is in place first. What is that? What is that thing you have to get in place first? I don't know. Do you think I asked that Appropriately enough, Rick? I think so, or what's uh, really the most important thing that, and, and what has to and be lined setup? up? Yeah, yeah. lined up okay. in the, the setup of the forward spay before you, you know, you make your forward cast, forward spay, mo, uh, forward spay motion. Okay, let's see if, uh, let's see if we can get a right answer on that. Not Sure, this is what I was. This wasn't what I was looking for, but I'll, I'll, it's a good stance. Is the first answer that came in. I don't that's think not that's exactly what, you were what I was quite looking, looking for. for. No. Um, let's see, we've got. Well, we've got some other other answers coming in. Um, okay, I think we might have one. Roy Fukushima came in with uh, Fukushima. I'm sorry, Roy. Um, uh, with anchor point, and that's what I was looking yeah. for. Yes. Yeah, I think and, that's, uh, that's your answer. Yeah, yeah. So, Roy, congratulations. <laughs> Roy was the one that asked the question about Pyramid Lake. So, uh, <laughs> so Roy, you got everything you need. You, you're going to have Rick's book and uh, get up there to Pyramid, and then make sure somebody takes some pictures and send them to Rick. So you'll know, uh, yeah, know what it's looking like up there. I'm sure he'd appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, so, so um, Roy, what you need to do is send me your, and you can use the same form that you just used, put your shipping address in there, 
and uh, so that we can get uh, that shipped out to you. And uh, thanks for paying attention. Thanks everybody else. Yeah, we got other ones coming in here. Bob Younger, Anchor Point, Phil McCartney, Anchor Point, Steve Schramm, Anchor Point. So they started to come in and things. So so good job, guys. And thanks for listening tonight. We really uh, really appreciate it. And Rick, thank you so much for being on the show again. It's a pleasure. We'll have to do it again sometime. I'm so happy you were able to share your experiences with Spay with us tonight. Thanks for having me, Roger. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, it's always a pleasure uh, talking with you. Great, great. Thank you. Hopefully you've all found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look in the link in the top line menu. In the archive, you'll find all of our past shows, only over 375, I think, now. And you can search by keyword phrase uh, like Madison River, Spay, you know, Tarpon, whatever you want, and you'll find some shows on that. I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, but check that out. Our next broadcast will be on June 7th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On that show, I'm going to interview Steve Ramirez, and our topic for the show will be Casting Seaward. We've had Steve on our show before about his two prior books. We're going to explore with him his latest book, Casting Seaward. Uh, Steve has been traveling thousands of miles in pursuit of native gamefish in salt and brackish water ha- habitats. So join us as Steve tells his stories of adventures in the salt that we fish people and nature together and how humanity impacts the world in so many ways. And just to be sure you don't miss it, go to our homepage and right under Steve's picture is an add to calendar button. Click on that button and add it to your calendar and you'd be all set and get a reminder. We'd also like to thank Fly Fishers International, Trout Unlimited, Stackpole Books, Lee's Ferry Anglers, Muskie Town and Rico Puglisi Flies, and Globo Rescue for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Okay.